Okay. Please remember Okay. So it's good to see everyone. A good Erev Yom Tif. Uh, and this unusual Erev Shavuos. So here's the... First of all, I want to give really a great thank you to Rabbi David Pardo for um, helping to set this up and for all he's done, the, the amazing Sinai at Home program that he generated that I'm sure many of you are amongst literally the thousands who took advantage of on the, uh, on the Orthodox Union website. But um, today, what we're going to be doing, and I, I admire you for being on here, I really admire you for being on here, um, is, uh, is we're learning Erev Yom Tif. For the past uh, many, many years, Baruch Hashem, for the past 28 years, I had the privilege in our shul, B'nai Jacob, and B'nai Jacob Shari Zion, uh, to spend the night learning a sugya, learning an issue in halacha with, uh, with uh, serious discussion. Sometimes it had halachic and you know, philosophical angles mixed together. And we had a lively discussion, which took us from 11.30 at night till 5 o'clock in the morning, learning together with source sheets, with a vigorous discussion of Torah. And um, this year, we will not be able to be together on Shavuos night. And some people may have a little bit of a challenge being able to be up to all hours on their own. And uh, so we have a little time together here on Erev Yom Tov. So the, the, the notion here is we're going to have our Tikkun Erev Shavuos. And we're going to spend time learning to usher in the Yom Tov. I have very fond memories from my days when I was studying in Yeshiva where we would do this. They said, you know, five hours Shavuos nights, not so long. And we would, they would start, they would daven mincha early, and we would learn for a few hours before Mariv. And it was part of the celebration of the love of Torah, which is what Shavuos is. You know, this idea of staying up all night is a very, very, so to speak, flimsy minig, relatively speaking. It's, it doesn't have strong, strong sources as much, but it's part of the passionate connection that the Jewish people have for the Torah. We, uh, we, we don't make uh, calculations as to what would be the most efficient use of our time. We just want to embrace a real study of Torah. And it's in that spirit that we're going to get started here. As Rabbi Pardo mentioned, there should be a link to the source sheets, if you don't have them yet, that you could, you could look at, you could print, uh, if you wish to follow them. They are all in the original. They're not in translation, but everything will be explained so one is not bound to the source sheet, but it's there for your advantage to use during the shear or to print it out and to, and to go over things later. The sugya, the matter that we're going to be discussing here today, is the, the, the idea of inishmartem sechem. You shall safeguard your souls. We know that expression, especially during the past couple of months, you've heard it repeating, repeatedly. Safeguard your souls, the Torah mandate for a person to maintain health and safety, to do things in a careful way. We're going to explore this in terms of physical and spiritual safety, what the mandate really is. And I hope, hope that together with you, we're going to uncover some, some interesting things. We're not going to be going through subjects which we're perhaps a little bit tired of discussing, which is exactly all the details about what we should be doing, this minion or that minion. We're going to be talking about it a little bit from 30,000 feet. We're going to be talking about the concept of, of tefillah in, in the framework of 
what could sometimes be considered risky. And we'll learn a Mishnah about this. We're going to learn a Mishnah about this, which is going to be the starting point for, for our discussion. The discussion is basically going to go through four phases. Mir Tashem, it's a few minutes after six. And I hope with, 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 with our energy together that we will, Bezos Hashem, you know, be together till 7.30, 7.45, learning in a lively way. As many, if you have to get off, you get off with, with pleasure, no, 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 no worries, no insult. But uh, we're going to go through this really in four phases. Uh, the first phase is to look at a, a passage in the Gemara, which tells a story of danger with regard to tefillah. And we're going to explore that story and formulate really the question around which the shear is going to revolve. Our second stage, we're going to explore whether there really is a Torah commandment of safeguarding your life in Ishmartem Odlinafshosechem about physical health, which is a fascinating debate, as we are going to see. And third, we're going to discuss the ability of a person to make a choice to sacrifice for the sake of a mitzvah if they want to, risk their life, not just because they want to live dangerously, but for the sake of a mitzvah. That serious halachic question. And finally, we're going to talk about whether there would ever be a different standard, an exception that could be made for what we would call the chassid, the person who is exceptionally pious. It's going to be, I hope, a meaningful discussion which we'll come together. So let's start with a quote from the Mishnah. Now, excuse me. If it's okay, I realize I'm sitting here so formal with the jacket. Every year, Shavuos night in Shul, when I did this, it was the one time in the year when I stood in Shul without my jacket. Is it okay if I take off my jacket? I hope it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Get, get, get worked up in the, in the learning. Baruch Hashem. And again, it's, everybody's assumed to be on mute. If you want to ask a question... Uh, a challenge, a clarification, you can unmute, unmute yourself. And if I don't like the question, I'll put you back on mute. Um, okay. So, so, so there's a Mishnah in the beginning of the fifth chapter, the fifth parak of Masechus Brachas. The Mishnah says, The Mishnah says that if a person's davening, even if a king is greeting him, he should not respond. Even if there's a nochash, even if there is a snake that is koruch alakevay, that is wrapped around his heel or going for his heel, that's where the, the snake and the human meet at the heel. Even if the snake is going after him, he should not interrupt. That's the Mishnah. The king is greeting him. You don't stop davening. The snake is attacking him. You don't interrupt. Now, when, when you read that Mishnah, when I read that Mishnah, what does it mean? What does it sound like? It sounds clearly like no matter what. It doesn't matter. It's a dangerous situation. You're in the middle of davening. You do not stop. You do not interrupt. That's the way the Mishnah would seem to read. But the Gemara immediately qualifies it. The Gemara is a couple of pages later where it gets to this part of the Mishnah. And the Gemara says as follows. Even if the king is greeting him, he should not respond. It's only true if it's a Jewish king. If a Jewish king comes along and says, how are you doing? And then you don't answer. He says, ah, he's in the middle of Shemana 
right? He's not going to have a problem. Maybe there's an issue of showing respect, but in the middle of Shemun Esrei, when you're standing before the Rabbana Shalom, you don't show respect to that king. You're before the king of kings. But if it's Malchi Umas Olam, if it's a king of the world, a king of the nations of the world who won't understand it and who could get upset and infuriated, it could be dangerous, posik. For that person, you interrupt. Meaning, don't interpret the Mishnah the way we would instinctively read the Mishnah, that the Mishnah is saying, it doesn't matter what, it does matter what. You're only able, you're only told to continue if it's not dangerous. If it's dangerous, you should interrupt. Mesave poses the Gemara challenge. If a person is davening and he sees an anus, an anus is a, a, a tough extortioner, a forceful, a forceful governor of sorts. He sees a, a wagon coming at him. He shouldn't stop. He should just try to finish up quickly, but he shouldn't interrupt, says the Gemara. So you see from here, that even though the person poses a danger, we would still say that you should not interrupt. Says the Gemara, that case is speaking about where you had options. It's giving you an option. Should you just go at your normal pace? Should you say all of the brachos of the Shemana Esrei? And when he comes by, just stop in the middle and speak to him. Or... Should he shorten the Shemana Esrei? And then he'll be able to speak to him without interrupting. Says the Gemara, you should shorten it. Where you have the option, you should shorten it. But if there was no option, and this was a threatening person, then you should interrupt. Then you should interrupt. Eloi Mavsik, if not, you interrupt. Danger overwhelms other considerations. And we would expect that usually, right? Isn't that true? Isn't that the rule? Pikuach Nefesh, concern for life overrides other things, and it overrides the fact that you're in the middle of the Shemana Esrei. Now, you'll notice here in this paragraph that we now have an underlined portion, Tanu Rabbonan. I want, just for the sake of our own order, so it'll be orderly in your mind and mine, that we're going to pause for a moment, just jump down to the two-line section that follows this paragraph, where you'll see again a little bit italicized un- uh, underline, before we learn the story that's in between. And that is that the Mishnah also has to deal with the snake. If you said that you don't interrupt for a dangerous king, then why do you interrupt for a... Why, why don't you... That, I'm sorry, if you say that you would interrupt for a dangerous king, why do you not interrupt for a snake? Isn't a snake dangerous? So the Gemara says, It's only a snake for which you won't, but a scorpion, for a scorpion you would interrupt. Meaning, um, and I probably, our lawyers would say, you know, don't try this at home or something like that. But the, the, the issue was that the snake wasn't considered to be so incredibly dangerous. Certainly it's not agitated, if not started up with. So therefore, as the, and the Gemara is going to clarify that, but the scorpion was considered absolutely dangerous. So here as well, what is the Gemara saying? You read the Mishnah, you say, even if a snake is going after him, you shouldn't interrupt. And you and I would read that and we would say, so that means it doesn't matter that it's dangerous, you just keep davening. But the Gemara qualifies it and says, for a snake, you don't interrupt. 
a snake, if you don't bother it, it won't, it won't attack you. But the scorpion is dangerous, you should interrupt. So the Gemara seems to have taken down the Mishnah a very significant notch. Whereas the Mishnah made it sound as if when we're, when we're davening, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's a dangerous situation or not a dangerous situation. You should not interrupt what you're doing. Here, the Gemara has qualified it significantly and said, look, it may be not the most pleasant situation in the world. You should not interrupt. But if it's dangerous, interrupt. That's how the Gemara has taken it down a notch. Now, let's go back up to that story. Tanu Rabbanan. Again, the underlying portion, the large underlying portion in the in the, in in the previous paragraph, in paragraph based on the sheet. There was a pious person who was davening on the side of the road. Hegmon a hegmon is a term like you know we're familiar in English with the term hegemony, right? So that comes from the, the, this term. A hegmon was a person who had governorship. and he greeted him. He didn't respond. He was in the middle of davening. This governor waited till he finished davening. After he finished davening, he said to him, Reka, empty one. The Torah says, guard yourself and guard your soul. And it also says, Our favorite verse, You should safeguard your soul. He says, When I greeted you, why didn't you respond? If I would have taken the opportunity to chop your head off with a sword, who would have had any claim against me? Don't you know who you're ignoring? Don't you know who you're starting up with? Empty one. Fool, why are you doing this? Omar Loi, so he said back to him, He says, could you let me try to explain to you? Literally, it translates, could you wait for me to appease you with words? But what it means is, allow me an explanation. Omar Loi, so he, he, he did grant him this, and this is what the Chassid said. If you were standing speaking to a king, a human king, and someone came along and greeted you, would you respond to that person in the middle of your conversation with the king? He says, no, I wouldn't. If you would have turned from the king to respond to the person who showed up, what would they do to you? If they would have chopped my head off with the sword, the hegmon readily admitted. You would be refraining from doing that in front of a mortal king. So isn't it that much more so that when I'm standing and praying to God, that I should do the same? It doesn't make sense that I should interrupt my prayer to respond to you. Miyadnis Bayas also Hegmon. The Hegmon got it. He accepted. He was appeased. And that pious person was able to go home peacefully. That's the story the Gemara says. It's a problematic story. Why? The Hegmon had a good point. He said, You risked your life. I could have chopped your head off. 
I'm the Hegmon. I'm the king of the castle. I could have chopped your head off. And who would have objected? Who would have been able to take me to task? I spoke to you. You should have answered. Now the Chassid was lucky. He got away. He gave an explanation. And the explanation was accepted. The explanation was accepted. However, we have to understand how he risked his life. How, why did he not worry about the Hegmon chopping his head off? Isn't this actually a story? You know, the Gemara sometimes mentions it this way. There's a Mishnah, and sometimes the Mishnah brings a story in the Mishnah, within the Mishnah, and a story should be illustrative. But sometimes the story seems to collide with the teaching of the Mishnah, and the Gemara asks, Ma'aselistor, the story contradicts the principle which you just gave. Now, it's a question which is asked on a Mishnah. This is a passage in the Gemara, but we could ask the question. We finished, just finished saying that if the king is not a Jewish king, who will understand, oh, you're halten mitten shman he's in the middle of davening, okay, I'll wait, or I'll, I'll go on and I won't worry. If it's a non-Jewish king who won't understand, then we say, stop, stop, interrupt, don't start up, don't risk your life. And here we have the story of the Chassid who risked his life. What do we make of this? This is a problem. It's a problem, a significant problem. And this problem engaged many, many of the Mepharshim, many of the commentaries of the Poskim in trying to understand it. Let's, uh, let's, uh, we're going to skip ahead for a moment over Gimel, Dalit, and Hay that are on your sheet. If you'll allow me, we'll skip ahead of it, of it for a minute. And we'll go to Sors Vav on the sheet, which is from the Ben Yehoyada. Okay, this is an Agadaic commentary. The Ben Yehoyada was one of the many, many works which was authored by the great Rav Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. And the Ben Yehoyada is a commentary on Agados Hashas. So he, on Agadaic passages that we have in the Gemara, and here we have such a story. And we have the story of this pious person, and he came. And he asks, Why wasn't he worried about what this person raised? This biblically familiar hegmon who said, Doesn't your Torah tell you to keep safe? Doesn't it tell you to safeguard your lives? Why did you ignore me? Didn't you realize you were risking your life? So what gives? Why didn't he realize that he might have been risking his life? Why didn't that stop him? Continues the the the, the Ben Yoyoda. He says, how did he know who this person was? He didn't realize that he was a hegmon. Maybe he thought he was Jewish. It's also possible this fellow was a very pious person. Maybe he didn't even hear him. He was so engrossed in his davening that he didn't even he didn't even hear him. That's also a possibility. But then when he finished davening and the fellow you know, clears his throat and says, hey, you know, what gives? He's not going to believe me if I say that I didn't hear. So he gave him an explanation. He's not going to believe him what you were so engrossed in davening. So therefore he explained it. So the Ben Yoyada says, this man did not consciously risk his life. He had no clue that there was really a threat. He didn't realize that there was any threat. Maybe he thought the person was Jewish. Maybe he didn't even hear the person. But he could not have endangered himself. 
That's what the Ben Yehoyada says. It's difficult. It's possible, of course, but it's difficult. You imagine when a hegmon shows up, he shows up with the appropriate clatter of a hegmon, of a, of a governor. He really didn't realize what he was dealing with. Now, it's possible that he didn't hear him davening. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important interpretation, but not one which is assumed by, as we will see, by the majority of those who address this question. There's a sefer called the, known as the Tzlach. Tzlach stands for Tzion Lenefesh Chaya, or Tzion Lenefesh Chaya, a, a, a marker for a living person, a monument for a living person. The Tzlach was written by, by the great Naida Yehuda, right? The Talando of, 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 of Prague, the Noida Yehuda, 18th century. So he wrote a commentary on certain Mesechtes uh, Hashas, and he asked the question, how does this chosid, how does he rely on a miracle and put himself in danger? And he notes that the Taz, which is one of the major commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, discusses this. We're going to look at what the Taz says shortly. He says, but in my opinion, it seems that when the Chassid saw that the person greeted him and said, He says, I'm not dealing here with some kind of despot. If he comes by and he sees me davening and he says, Shalom, not sarcastic Shalom, but he says, Hello, how are you? So he's a Meken Mitem Redden. You know, you can speak to him. He felt... You know, this guy's not going to chop my head off. The kinds of people, the kinds of governors, the kinds of kings that chop your head off are the kinds of when they show up and they see you there, they, they snap their fingers or they, or they, or they, they, they do something to really forcefully get your attention. This fellow came to me like a man. She said, hello. So therefore, said the Knight of Yehuda, he was confident. He saw his menschlichkeit. He was confident that he wouldn't rush to kill him until he had a chance to hear what he had to say. So therefore, he was very secure that he would be able to make the case. You see, a person with derecheretz, that person with derecheretz, that person with respect, with common courtesy, will understand that to God we owe courtesy to. And he was therefore very secure in what was happening. That's what the Noda Yehuda says. He references the Taz. The Taz is very interesting, and the Taz is considered to be the main source in discussing this Gemara. And the Taz explains as follows. The Taz is actually earlier in Hilchais Kriyashma, in the Laza Kriyashma, where it discusses that if somebody comes not during Shemana Esrei, which is a different story, Shemana Esrei is a different league, there you're standing up in the presence of Hashem. In the Brochus of Kriyashma, we're also not supposed to talk, we're also not supposed to interrupt. But we speak about you may be able to greet somebody if you're afraid. You may be able to respond just out of honor if they greeted you already. And so the, 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 the Taz speaks about what kind of fear this is. Are they really scared? Are they scared for their life? Is that the fear that we're dealing with here? Or is it just a term of someone towards whom you have a very deferential, a very deferential relationship? 
And he goes and discusses this a little bit uh, back and forth. And uh, he says that, you know, the, uh, the Gemara in, in, that we just quoted above says regarding tefillah, that when it comes to Malchayuma Sa'olam, Posek, you can interrupt. And if, as some would make the argument, the Rosh and the Rajba said, when it comes to answering out of fear, it can't be that you're scared for your life. If that was the case, we wouldn't have to tell you. It goes without saying. It goes without saying that if you're afraid for your life, that it's not. He so says the Taz, really? It goes without saying? Look, with regard to the Shemana Esrei, it had to say it. It had to say that if it's Malchei Akum, where you're afraid for your life, you're able to, to interrupt. So he says, so it must be, that even there, we're not really worried for our lives. Because Yitaretz Devarov, the person will certainly ask him, a king is usually dignified. And the king doesn't go, this is the, this is the very interesting assumption of the Taz, he's dignified. He's not going to go just and chop his head off. He'll ask first, Right? What do, what do they say? Shoot first, ask questions later. He'll, the kings don't do that. They ask questions first, and then they shoot. Right? So he would ask the questions. He would give him a chance to respond. And he, again, would be able to explain himself. So he really wasn't afraid for his life. He would be able to say, I'm not rebelling. I'm just doing this to honor Hashem. And he says, therefore, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about fear for one's life. Uvazemeturat says the Taz, and therefore we can explain the major problem which we have in that Gemara there. What's the problem? Because he asked him, didn't you realize? You have to behave with safety. How do you risk your life to not respond to me? Who would have, who would have defended you if I would have chopped your head off? What's the Chassid's response? And if you'll tell me that the chassid had confidence in the merit of his prayer, but still, how did he respond? The person asked him, You behaved in an unsafe way. How did you make the decision to behave in an unsafe way? However, the, the Taz says, now we can understand. Because it's really not, it really wasn't a dangerous situation. Because he knew that's why he said to him, wait until I appease you with words. Why does it say that? Why didn't he just say, I had to? If I was standing in front of a king of flesh and blood, if you were doing it, it would be the same. He was trying to explain to him that the reason why he considered it safe was because he knew that he could talk to him. He knew that he explained to him. He knew that the chok hasrara, that the rule of governance is, that you'll ask me why I did it. And then I'll be able to explain. So I did not transgress on v'nishmartem ma'od l'nafshosechem. So this is how the Taz explains it. And he says the reason why he wasn't risking his life was because he would have a chance to explain. The Taz doesn't explain so well why we would therefore say that the king, a non-Jewish king, you, do, you generally do have to worry about. Why do you have to worry about it? You could say the same thing and say, you can always explain. The, the Mogen Avram, similarly, if you look on the next page, also speaks about the fact that the, this Chassid was confident that the Hegmon would accept his response. 
the Marsha, who also asked this question, the Marsha, who also asked this question, says, you know, this fellow was just a hegemon. A hegemon you don't have to worry about like a king. He doesn't have the same power. He doesn't have the same control. Sometimes you have to worry about some people, otherwise you don't. And that's what this story is, so it doesn't contradict. So all of these different approaches, they're all giving one way or the other a basis of reason to say that the Chassid was able to do this not because he was risking his life, but because he was very confident for one reason or another that there was no real risk here. And that's the way they explain it. But it's difficult to understand. It's very difficult to understand. Because we just finished saying the lines before in the Gemara that for a non-Jewish king you have to worry and it's surprising. The fellow says to him, I could have chopped your head off. Who is so confident in their defense that I'm going to be able to explain it so well that it becomes a non-issue? If you look back, the couple of sources that we jumped over, the short one, the Shita Mikubetzis says there on, on, on the Gemara, Pirish Misafek Chashash Sakona. He says, when we say that you interrupt for a non-Jewish king, it's because of a possible worry of danger. He puts two qualifiers, which you and I know. Isn't that what we say generally when it comes to Bikuach Nefesh? Does it need to be a definite risk? Or does it only need to be a potential risk, a possible risk? Even for a possible risk, we would say, it's Bikuach Nefesh, you have to worry about it. Okay, maybe not something which is remote as anything. But even for a possible risk... And then the Gemara turns around and gives this story. This is not a possible, a possible risk. In fact, Rashi is confusing to this. Because when Rashi draws the contrast between the Nachash and the Akrav, between the snake and the scorpion, he says, scorpions are much more dangerous than snakes. The scorpion is more primed to, to sting, then the snake is to bite. Shkoyach. It's still a possibility. It's still something you have to worry about. And in fact, that's the way it's brought in the Shulchan Aruch. For the scorpion, you see the next source, it's more assumed that it will do damage. So it seems that they are engaging in some risk when it comes to them being in the middle of davening. The Chassid seemed to engage in something which had within it some risk. Is that the contrast? Some risk versus full risk? But let me point out to you one further note as we conclude this shlav, this stage of our discussion. And that is that the story of the Chassid really fits the way the Mishnah sounds. What did the Mishnah say? The Mishnah said, even if a king greets him, even if a snake is coming, don't interrupt. What impression does that leave? It leaves the impression no matter what. It doesn't matter how threatening it is, how ominous it is. You don't interrupt. So how does the Gemara then turn around? And on the one hand, it says, no, 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 not a dangerous king. Snakes aren't really dangerous. And then in the next breath, it brings a story of a person who ignored a fairly dangerous-sounding hegmon. Okay, he wasn't a king. But he said, I could chop your head off and nobody would have any complaints. 
because of your disrespect to me and to my office. So really, while all of these commentaries, are, Paiskim and Mepharshim, are coming to say, well, it wasn't really a dangerous situation, and we understand why, because the Gemara has lowered it from it being a situation of danger, but the story sounds like the plain meaning of the Mishnah. The story sounds like he is, to some degree, risking his life for the sake of this tefillah, of the sake of this encounter. So this is phase one, stage one, of our discussion. Here we have, let's encapsulate, summarize what we've seen. Prayer, when it is risky. Right? Maybe a familiar discussion to us. There's a specific context here. The person's in the middle of davening and a risk arises. Should he be attentive to the risk and stop davening? Or should he ignore the risk and keep davening? And the Gemara seemed to say that if it's a real danger, like a non-Jewish king who wouldn't understand, or a scorpion, you should definitely interrupt. It's only when it's not risky that you should continue. When it's, you should, there's a matter of respect, but you have to have greater respect for Hashem. But not when there's a real risk. Then don't stop. But then it brought a story of this pious person who seemed to risk his life and didn't, and didn't stop. So should one risk one's life when davening, or should one not risk one's life when davening? That's really the sort of confusion that we have here. Or, let me rephrase it one drop, just to plant a seed in your minds, and say, not should one risk one's life when davening, but how about a different question? May one risks, risk one's life when davening? Because the chassid did it. A chassid, remember, a chassid in the Gemara doesn't have a furry hat. A chassid in the Gemara is a very pious person, and he was doing something very special. So therefore he chose, perhaps, to risk his life. Maybe it's not obligated. Maybe it's a choice. Must one? The Mishnah sounds like it. The Gemara toned it down. May one? Look at that story with that chassid who it sounds like he, like he did. So this is where we are perhaps framing the question. I'm going to pause if somebody has a question of their own. You guys need black coffee? Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So let's now go to phase two. And phase two is a fascinating question. What do we just have in the Gemara? We had in the Gemara that this Hegmon, who was apparently Mimalche Olam, a leader from not from the Jewish people, he asked him with biblical citations. He said, What are you doing? How did you keep davening? How did you risk your life and not respond to me? Don't you know that it says in the Torah you have to safeguard your life? Safeguard yourself, safeguard your soul very much. Safeguard your souls very much. So he asked him this question and he responded. Now, where does it say that? And what does it say it about? So let's take a moment here to learn the verses which are found in one, both of those verses that he quoted are found in one paragraph in the Torah in Parshas Vo'eschanan, which is the Parsha 
in the book of Devarim, where the story of Mamad Harsinai, the story of Harsinai is repeated. It's Erev Shavuos. So what a perfect discussion. This, these psukim are about, they're about, they're focused on the experience of Harsinai. And we're taught to safeguard ourselves in that context. Listen to what it says. Just guard yourself from and guard your soul very much. This is one of the verses that the Hegmon quoted. Now, what is it saying? Is it saying don't smoke? Is it saying be careful about your saturated uh, fats? Exercise? Stay away from, you know, wear a mask when you go out in public? Listen to what it says. It says, safeguard your life. Lest you forget what your eyes saw. Lest they leave your heart all of the days of your life. Tell it to your children. Tell it to your grandchildren. That day that you stood before God at Sinai, when Hashem told me, assemble the people so I can let them hear my words. What is it saying? Is it saying, watch out for your health? No. It's saying, guard your soul to hold on to the memory of Sinai. This is a spiritual warning, not a physical warning. And look how the verse continues. And it goes and it says, okay, so when Hashem said, gather everybody around, and you all gathered around, you, you came together and you stood beneath the mountain, and the mountain was aflame all the way to the heavens, dark and clouds, and Hashem spoke to you from the fire. You heard his words, but you didn't see the image. You didn't see any image of God. God has no image. And he gave over to you his covenant, that he commanded you to do the the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets, and he instructed me at that time, to teach you the laws and the rules, to do them in the land that you're going to inherit, to conquer. Oh, here's that verse. That verse which we always cite when we encourage people to safeguard their health. What does it say? Safeguard significantly your souls. Because remember, you saw no image on the day that Hashem spoke to you at Sinai from the fire. Lest you self-destruct, lest you corrupt yourselves and you make for yourself a pesel, an image, Tmunas called Samel, an image of all kinds of things, a figure of a male or a female, dot, dot, dot. So tell me something. Is it telling us to be healthy? To have a healthful lifestyle? Or is it telling us, safeguard your soul, don't corrupt it with idol worship, with Avedah Zarah? The verse is not about guarding your, so to speak, physical soul guarding the breath of life that's within you, it seems to be about guarding your spiritual soul. Remember Sinai. Remember that God has no form. Don't try to make a form to represent him. These are spiritual warnings, not physical warnings. I would ask maybe for a vote. I can only see nine people at a time, and one of those nine people is me. Unfortunately, I would ask for, for how many people is this a surprise? 
that the verse of inishmartem ma'od l'nafshoseichem, you should safeguard your soul so much, it's not really speaking about physical health and safety. I think for many people it's a surprise. Maybe not for this crowd, but for many people it's a surprise. It's so interesting because in fact there's one other place where it says exactly the same phrase, you should safeguard your soul very much. In the book of Yoshua, it's the next source. And there as well, same story. Safeguard your soul very much. To love Hashem your God. Now, the context there is a little more edgy. Why? Because what it says is, you know, Hashem has been with you. He's conquered all the nations that came that came before you, that you came and you fought and you conquered. You know, safeguard your souls, love Hashem, because if you abandon Him, you'll be in trouble. Now there you could say that the broader context is, don't risk your life by abandoning God, because if you abandon God, then you risk your life, because then these nations could, heaven forbid, attack you and destroy you. There, it might be seen as a little bit more of a physical threat. But you know, when we quote the Nishmartim Sechem, we certainly are assumed to be quoting the Torah's verse, which is about spiritual, not material things. We could bring another instance of the same, actually in Parshas Dvorim, a Parsha before, where it also says Vinishmartem Ma'od, you should be very careful. What does it say there? You're passing by the border of your brothers, the children of Esav, who live in Seir. They will be fearful of you. Be very careful. Don't start up with them, because you're not supposed to have their portion. They have an inheritance too. They have a land too. So what does it mean, be very careful? Maybe that's telling us that mitzvah that we're looking for, that a person has to practice physical safety. But Rashi says, no, no, no. Be careful not to start up with them. Not be careful to guard your souls. Be careful to listen to my mitzvah. Rashi says that. Fascinatingly, Rabbeinu Bachya says, If you want them to be fearful of you, so then make sure to observe the Torah. is referring to the Torah. He says, not safety. But if you want them to be fearful of you, Observe the Torah regarding which it says, Guard your soul. So the Medrash that Rabbeinu Bachya quotes is in fact telling you that it's to be seen specifically as focused on spiritual. So what do we do with this? We just perhaps punctured a bubble of what this Pasuk, what this verse is about. But then again, there was this Gemara, where this person came along and asked the Chassid, hey, you're behaving unsafely. You, you risked your life. It says, I'll show you something amazing. The Rambam, in the end of the section of the Rambam, the Rambam's 14 sections, as you know. In the end of the section called Nazikin Damages, he has Hilchos Roteach Ushmiras Hanefesh, the laws of murder, and the guarding of life, the guarding of the soul. Most of Hilchos Rotzeach is about the laws of murder, the punishments, what it takes, the laws of the city of refuge for the accidental murderer. And then at the end, what does he speak about? He speaks about public safety. 
So for instance, what's an example of public safety? Is a makkah, the mitzvah that the Torah says you should put a railing around a roof that people walk on. There should be a railing because it's unsafe. You have to make sure that no blood, heaven forbid, ever, ever is spilt in your house. writes the Ramam, whether a roof or any dangerous thing that a person could slip up on and die, like if he had a pit or a well in his courtyard, whether it has water in it or it doesn't have water in it, you have to have a ridge around it. That's ten tfachim tall. That's your railing. You have a ridge around it, protecting it. And he says as follows, Anything which could cause a danger to life, mitzvah say it's a positive commandment lahasiro to remove it, uli shomer mimenu and to protect yourself from it, uli zor bedavar yafa yafa and to be very careful about it. Shenemar as it says, he shomer lecha ushmar nafshecha, guard yourself and guard your soul. That's the verse that we brought up above. He shomer lecha ushmar nafshecha maod. And if he didn't, Bitel Mitzvah Hasei has transgressed this positive commandment and he has been over on Losasim Damim Beveisacha. And the Ramam goes on to say that there are many things that our sages forbade us to do because they considered them dangerous. And a person cannot say, I can do it. What does it bother anybody else? It's my life. If a person says that, he's given Makas Mardus. So the Rambam clearly, is applying that verse, which in its literal, original context, is about safeguarding your spiritual soul, lest you forget Harsinai, and he is saying it's a basis for practicing physical safety. So here we have the Rambam. And by the way, and that's why I underlined in the heading, it's not just that the Rambam tucked it in the end, you know, in the 11th chapter of the laws of Rotseach, like who gets there? The Ramam included it in the title. Where does the expression Shmiras Hanefesh come from? The expression Shmiras Hanefesh comes from Shmor Nafshecha, guard your soul. He Shomer Lecho Shmor Nafshecha. The verse about spiritual protection the Ramam uses as the title for his discussion of physical protection. So he certainly seems to be blurring the line between the two of them. There was a sefer called the Levush. Many different sforim, many different volumes under that title. The Bala Levushim was, a, was a, basically a contemporary, more or less, of the Shulchan Aruch. And he wrote as follows. In Yoridea, there's a simon, there are two places in Shulchan Aruch where there are discussions about dangerous behaviors. One is in Choshen Mishpat, one is in Yoridea. In the Oredea, where it discusses these things, he writes as follows. It says, He quotes those two verses, our two verses that we focus on. He says, This verse can be understood to mean that a person has to safeguard themselves, not to endanger themselves. Even though that's not the simple meaning of these verses. Because as we said, the simple meaning is spiritual safety. Take care of your spiritual self. But the sages leaned on this verse, even though it's not the simple meaning of the verse, they leaned on this verse to produce as well a prohibition 
against things that endanger one's physical safety. He says, if you ask me, we can learn the principle, really, not from which is about guarding your spiritual self, but what you could really learn it from is what was told to every member of humanity, which was, we will seek your soul, the blood of your soul. What do we learn from that? Is that a person is forbidden to take their own life. That's a prohibition on anybody, Jew or non-Jew alike. Jew and non-Jew alike. And says the Gemara, so from there you see, if a person can't take their life, they have to guard their life. Lefika Hamru, and that's why there's the famous expression of the sages, Chamira Sakanta Mi'isura. Matters of danger should be considered stricter, more strictly than matters of prohibition. Sakana is a big deal. So the Lavush is the first one here that we have to point out to us that what the Rambam just did to bring this verse to speak about physical safety is not so simple. It's taking a verse out of its original context where it speaks about physical, spiritual safety, spiritual safeguarding, and applies it to physical safety. So the Rambam is sliding something in on us. The Lavush is not convinced. He says that's not the meaning of the verse, it's not the simple meaning of the verse. Maybe the sages use the verse to, to teach that to us as well. What's called an asmachta, a hint from the verse, but it's not really what the verse may be about. But says the Lavush, I don't need an, I don't need a new verse. I have a verse which was taught to mankind, which is that people have to safeguard their lives. They can't take their own lives. If they can't take their own lives, then they have to avoid danger. They have to avoid danger. That's what the Levush gives us. There's a sefer called the Minchas Chinuch. Minchas Chinuch is a delightful work written around the sefer, a chinuch filled with fascinating Talmudic questions, analytical questions of all kinds. And the Sefer HaChinuch, in the mitzvah of putting a railing around your roof, he asks as a question how it is that the Rambam actually brought these verses. These verses are not about physical safety. How does the Rambam, when he's teaching us that you have to maintain physical safety, base it on verses which are not about physical safety? They're about spiritual safety. They're about safeguarding your spirituality, your belief system, the way you look at and the way you trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in God. How did the Rambam make that transition? Based on what? And says the Minchas Chinuch something very, very sharp. He says, I know what you're going to tell me. It's in the Gemara. The Gemara tells us the story of that Chassid who was confronted by the Hegmon, by the governor, who said to him, why did you ignore me when I came by? Doesn't it say in your Torah, doesn't it say, that they have to safeguard your soul? So there you have it, right there in the Gemara, that those verses compel guarding your physical life. Says the Minchas Chinuch, you're going to bring me a proof from the Hegmon? Writes the, 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 the Minchas Chinuch, hey, minim, they're heretics. They take the words of the living God and they turn it to heresy. 
Who knows how he read this verse that he made it into a physical matter? But you understand the taste of what he's doing. He's saying, the Torah is telling you, you have to guard your unique Jewish spiritual experience. Harsinai was the unique Jewish spiritual experience. We got the Torah from Hashem. Only the Jewish people had the privilege of being given the Torah. So when this person, who's not part of the Jewish people, he reads it, he takes it out of context, and he says what it's telling you is to be physically safe. Not guard your spiritual tradition, your spiritual heritage. Guard your lives physically. From him we're going to learn how to translate the verse, how to apply the verse. Where does the Ramam have the right to do that from? That's the Minchas Chinuch's problem. And he himself, however, in the Kometz HaMincha, which was sort of footnotes that he added later to his work, he says, I found out where the Ramam got it from. I figured it out. Where did I figure it out? There's a Gemara in Meseches Shvuos. Meseches Shvuos. Did you know there was a Mesech about Shvuos? Right? Okay, so right, we have Meseches Psachim about Pesach, Meseches Sukkah about Sukkahs, and Rosh Hashanah and Yuma about Yom Kippur. We have Meseches Shvuos. And by the way, you know how many pages there are in Meseches Shvuos? 49. It's unbelievable. It's not about Shvuos. It's about oaths. Shvuos is weeks. But it's, you know what else? We have, a, excuse me for the aside. There's an expression that, that is found in the Gemara. Mushbava omed mehar sinai. You and I, we're going to make a commitment to do mitzvahs. We already made a shvua. We already made an oath at har sinai. The yomtav of har sinai is the yomtav of shvuas, not just of weeks. It's the yomtav of the ultimate oath, nasev and ishma, that we undertook. So in Meseches Shvuas, here on Erev Shvuas, we learn that a person who curses himself is deserving malchus, deserving lashes. Rav Yanai says, according to everybody, Atzmo dichsiv rakishomer l'chosh mornafshachamod. And he quotes our Pasuk. You have to safeguard yourself, safeguard your soul excessively. And therefore, we say, a person who curses himself is violating that mandate to take care of themselves. Said the Kometz HaMincha, so we see from here that even with regard to one's physical health, the mitzvah of Hishamer Lachosh Mornafshacham Od applies. When it says safeguard your soul, yes, the simple context is guard your spiritual life. But you see the verse uses it when it comes to cursing oneself. That's not your spiritual life, that's to self-destruct. So you see that the Talmud understood that it applied as well to physical things. And this is not said by a hegmon. This is said by, by the Gemara, by Rabbi Yanai. Yanai is a tricky name, but nevertheless, he was one of the great sages of the Gemara, right? So he was, was saying that this is a basis. The Marsha, parenthetically, way, way, way before the author of the Minchas Chinuch, the Marsha said the same thing. He said that even though on the Gemara in Brachas, even though the verse cited is about spiritual safety, the Hegmon brought this verse. He says, does it apply? Doesn't it apply? I'm not sure. He says, but in the Gemara in Shulis, we see that they applied it to physical safety. 
So both the Minchas Chinuch and the Marsha are noting what the Levush noted. That, hey, you're taking a verse out of the spiritual context to the physical context. Are you able to do that? Are you able to do that? But they're pointing out that it was done. There's a Talmudic precedent for it. However, fascinating thing. Mamish, really, really fascinating thing. There's a Gemara in Maseches Bavakama. The Gemara in Maseches Bavakama, Daftari Aleph Amadbeis, says that there's an argument whether a person has permission to wound themselves, to harm themselves. Not to kill themselves, but to wound themselves. And the Gemara says, maybe the one who says you can't gets it from that verse which the Levush quoted before, Vaches dimchem seichem et rosh, meaning that a person's not allowed to kill themselves. Says the Gemara, okay, kill themselves is one thing, but who says they can't harm themselves? Who says they can't wound themselves? So says the Gemara, we have a different source. And the Gemara brought that one's not able to tear things in grief over a mace. If you're not allowed to tear your garments, you're certainly not allowed to tear yourself. Believe it or not, the Gemara even challenges that and says garments don't get healed, but wounds that a person puts on themselves could heal. We're not going to get into the details. Says Toisvus, ask Toisvus, not in Bavakama, but in Mesecha Shvuas. He says, I don't get it. Why does the Gemara have to fish around for a source? We have a source. Like we said here in Mesecha Shvuas. Why can't you curse yourself? Because the verse says, You have to safeguard yourself very much. So if the Torah says you have to safeguard your life, so then that should be a basis for saying that you cannot, you're not allowed to harm yourself. Why doesn't that do the trick? That's Tosus's question. Tema, Tosus says it in a term of the greatest wonder. How do we do that? So, I want to share with you two brilliant answers to this question of Tosus. One brilliant answer is provided by the, the Prichadosh, quoted by Ravel Yashiv, Zichrona Levracha, who says that, you know, the, the Gemara itself made a distinction and it said, it's one thing to kill oneself, it does the same apply to harm oneself. Said Rabbi Yashiv, the verse, is you have to guard your life. It doesn't say you can't hurt yourself, it just says you can't kill yourself. And the curse of oneself could be total, could be a curse of destruction, and that's why it's included. But otherwise, we would not necessarily include it in the prohibition. That's his answer to Tosus' question. The Chassam Sofer says something extremely clever, and he says as follows. Listen to this. Says the Chassam Sofer, what happens if a person fails to fulfill the mitzvah of safeguarding their soul very much? What did it say it about? It said, don't forget Sinai. You know, the Mishnah in Pirkei Ava says that when the Torah says, don't forget Sinai, it says, don't forget the Torah that you learn. Don't forget any Torah that you learn. A person who's shocheach davar echad, a person who forgets one thing that they learned, heaven forbid, mischayev benafsho. Why are they mischayev benafsho? Said the Chassam Sofer, because in Parshas Kisovo, at the end of the Torah, it says, 
Cursed is the one who doesn't uphold the Torah. A person who allows their Torah to be forgotten is not upholding the Torah. So therefore they end up, heaven forbid, getting cursed. Listen to how clever it is. The person who forgets the, the, the Torah is bringing upon themselves a curse. And that's the prohibition. The prohibition is because they're inviting upon themselves the curse if they forget Torah. So therefore, if a person directly curses themselves, that's certainly forbidden. That's the prohibition, is to bring upon oneself that curse. Okay, so where we're up to here is we're up to the, 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 uh, the, the top of the fourth page, Shlav Shlishi, and let's summarize what we have seen to this point. What we've seen to this point is, we started with the Gemara and Brachos, which tells us that you have to not interrupt your davening no matter what. A king comes by, a snake comes by, don't interrupt. It sounds like you need to risk your life. But then the Gemara toned it down completely and said it's only a non-threatening king, a Jewish king. A non-Jewish king, don't start up. It's only a snake, a little snake, maybe a grass snake. But a scorpion, which is dangerous, there you have to worry. There you should interrupt. That's what the Gemara said. And we got it, right? That's simple. Pikuach nefesh, you don't risk your life, even for davening. As we know, that's why we're having this session now. So we don't risk our life, even for davening. On the other hand, on the other hand, the Gemara brought a story about a pious person, a chassid, who davened and didn't stop davening, didn't interrupt his davening, despite the fact that this hegmon, this non-Jewish king and leader, was greeting him and trying to get his attention. And that hegmon said to him, after he finished, you know, you risked your life. What did you do? You risked your life. The verse says you can't risk your life. So we, we saw commentary said, like, what was he doing? And they had all these approaches to explain that, well, he wasn't really risking his life. He was confident. He was sure. But we left with a question. It was a question I didn't mention. And it was posed by the Chachma Shleimer of Shleimer Kluger. It, it sounds kind of risky. And generally speaking, we're careful even about possible pikuach nefesh. That's what, in fact, it says over there as well. So that was phase one. And in phase two, we looked at those verses which that person cited. And we said, do those verses really tell us that we can't risk our lives? The verses are about spiritual safety. Are they about physical safety? Not simply. Well, the Rambam definitely applied them to physical safety, no question. The Gemara and Shvuos we saw seemed to apply it to physical safety, but it was a little trickier because it was the spiritual realm of a Shvuah, of an oath. And we talked about perhaps a distinction between risk of harm as opposed to risk of death. Okay, but exploring that, whether it's spiritual safety or physical safety that we're concerned about, becomes an interesting point, an interesting nuance. One with altogether, I think it's worth, worth it for us, to bear in mind. But let's now go one more step. And that next step, this next shlav, this next stage of our discussion, really brings to brings out a different possibility, a different attitude, a different question. Especially when you consider right now this point which was just raised, which is that the verse really is speaking primarily about spiritual safety. 
and maybe, perhaps, secondarily about physical safety. So could you possibly imagine that that chassid, that that pious person might have said to himself, hey, I'm in the middle of davening, I'm doing something which is spiritually very, very significant, and now I have somebody who's coming to threaten my physical safety. You know what my real answer to his question is? I am safeguarding my soul very much. Because that safeguarding of the soul that you're talking about was, remember God, remember Sinai. So I remember that I'm in the middle of davening, and I'm not stopping. I'm safeguarding my soul, not my physical life, but my soul. Oh, the hegemon comes and starts asking him questions. So he's not going to tell him that. So he says, look, you know, uh, let me explain myself to you. But fundamentally, maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was safeguarding his spiritual life and fulfilling that version of rather than safeguarding his physical life. What do you think? Does he have a right to do that? The Mogen Avram, another one of the great poskim on the Shulchan Aruch, in Simon Kuv Dalid, where this is this halacha is actually discussed that you don't inter- that you interrupt for a, a danger, says if Misyore Shemayargenu, if he's worried that the non-Jewish king will kill him, this is source number Tes Zion sixteen on the top of the fourth page. If he's worried about getting a ticket, right, getting a fine, he doesn't interrupt. Okay? Now, does he have an obligation to interrupt if it's dangerous? Does he have an obligation to interrupt? Or maybe he has permission to go on. Are we saying that you may interrupt or that you must interrupt? Remember, that was a question we raised at the beginning of the first section. If you say you must, then how do you tell me the story of the chassid? Well, that's exactly the Mogan Avram's problem. He says, look in your Redea, Resim and Kufnun Zayin Uvatur. Look in look at look look in your Redea. There it says that the Rambam's position is that you're not allowed to risk your life for a mitzvah that's not one of the cardinal sins. You know, there are three places where you may, otherwise you may not risk your life. And therefore, he says, I don't think you should. That story with the Hegmon and the Chassid? You'll ask me there he risked his life? No. He was confident that he would listen to his response, which we quoted that Mogad Avram before. He wasn't risking his life. He couldn't risk his life. You don't have a right to risk your life for something like davening. That's what the Mogad Avram says. What he's alluding to, again, as we said, is the opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam writes, and this is source Yud Zayin, it's a very, very important position of the Rambam. He writes, every Jew is instructed to sanctify Hashem's name, and we're warned against chil Hashem, against desecrating Hashem's name. Ketzer has that. If an Ovid Kachavim stands up and wants to force a Jew to transgress one of the mitzvahs of the Torah, or otherwise he'll kill him, Yargenu. Yavor val he should transgress rather than get killed. Because it says, these are the mitzvahs, asher yaseh These are the mitzvahs that you should do and live through them. Live through them, don't die because of them. If he died rather than transgress, he is guilty with his life.
He's Chayav Misa for killing himself. That's what the Rambam says. Rambam, if it wasn't enough there, he says it again in Halacha Dalid. You see further down. If it says you should transgress rather than get killed and you choose to get killed, you want to be a hero? You're guilty for, for, for self-harm. It's not heroism. That's what the Rambam's opinion is. Well-known opinion of the Rambam. Except for, except for the uh, three cardinals. Except for the three cardinal sins. The three cardinal sins, uh, what he writes in Al-Chabay, is those you have to give up your life. But there's only those three. And then there are other circumstances. But when a person is not in one of those circumstances, and they're going to choose to go beyond and to give up their life, it's not acceptable. So says the Rambam. That's the Shitas Haramam. That's the opinion of the Rambam. Writes the Kesef Mishnah, Rav Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch. Sover Abenu. The Rambam holds that when it says you transgress rather than die, it's not that you may transgress. V'chai Bohem isn't an allowance. V'chai Bohem is a mandate. It's not that you're allowed to preserve your life rather than do anything else. It's a mandate. You must preserve your life rather than anything else. Avol Shleiman v'chein Rabim, but goes on the, the Kesef mission, he says, there are many great people, many great people, Saivrim they hold him nerag v'le'ovar If he was killed and did not transgress, it's very righteous. It's a right, you're not mandated to do it, but it's a righteous thing for the person to do. And they understand that when it says, it means you have permission to transgress rather than get killed. And then the Kesef Mishnah goes on and he cites the Nimuka Yosef, Nimuka Yosef in Bavakama, who says that even according to the Rambam, a very great and chosid, pious person who's God-fearing, and he sees a generational failing, and he wants to give up his life in order to shore things up, even for a small mitzvah, he has the right to do so. He has the right to do so. In order to build the nation's fear of God and love of God. That they should love Hashem with all of their heart. That's what the that's what the Kesef Mishnah says. If you look, that's the halacha there in Yoridea. I'm sorry, the Nemuka Yosef is in Sanhedrin, not in Bavakam. I'm sorry. The... This is a big machlokas, a big difference of opinion. Does a person have the right to be Moser Nefesh, or even for a mitzvah that they're not compelled to be Moser Nefesh for? So we come back here, and we have to ask ourselves this question. We're back in our tight spot. The Mogan Avram saved us from that tight spot. Why? Because he said, so to speak, he claimed that when a person is um, when a person is, uh, the person in the Gemara, the chassid echad, the pious person that the Gemara describes, that pious person really wasn't risking his life. He was secure that the person would hear him, that the person would respond to his explanation and would spare his life. So therefore, it wasn't really a risk to life. But were it be, would it be a risk to life, he wouldn't have the right to do it, according to the Rambam. But as we said before, the Magen Avram says it, but it's 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 hard to, to understand. And again, who is it for us to ask? Well, we find great people ask this question. Right, Shlomo Kluger 
asked this question. He says, I, I don't understand. It sounds like it was somewhat risky. And he says assertively, it's not right. How could you say that you have such confidence when the person has free will? It's, it's a, you're relying on a miracle, he says. So he must have been really risking his life. I thought you said you shouldn't risk your life. This is the problem. So I want to tell you here the ingenious approach of Rav Shleima Kluger. Now, you know what it means, Kluger. What is a Kluger? A Kluger is a genius. A Kluger is a clever person. His name was Rav Shleima Kluger. He was a genius. He wrote piles of svarim, brilliant, brilliant svarim. And this is the Chachma Shleima, which are notes which are found in the Shulchan Aruch, printed in the standard editions of the Shulchan Aruch. And he says two approaches to this question, to explaining why the Chassid did, did what he did. And both of them are fantastically interesting, interesting explanations. The first explanation, he says, is that a person is truly, generally speaking, not supposed to give up their lives, give up their life, for the sake of any mitzvah other than the three cardinal sins. However, says Rosh Kluger, if a person chose to do so, if a person chose to do so, and they were doing it specifically for the sake of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he shouldn't be punished. Because with this he is also doing the honor of the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. Says the Rav Shleimah Kluger, a very big chidush. I would tell you, very, very hard. It's a, it's a brilliant chidush, but it's very, very hard. He says, you're not supposed to give up your life. But if the person was giving up his life, for the sake of honoring Hashem. He says, what are you supposed to live for? You're supposed to live to give honor to Hashem. And if this person says, but I have this moment where I can now die to give honor to Hashem. So he says, you shouldn't have done it. But if he did it, you're not going to say that he's guilty for taking his own life. And therefore, he says, what that pious person was saying to the Hegmon was, the Hegmon said, if I would chop your head off, who would be upset with me? Reka! You've emptied yourself of the right to life. You've risked your life. You've chosen to give up your life. You've thrown away your life. He says, I haven't thrown away my life. I dedicated my life. It's Mesiras Nefesh. I'm giving over my life to the Rabbanu So he says, don't tell me that therefore my blood is meaningless. My life is meaningless. No, it's still meaningful. It's still plenty meaningful. That's what he says. First answer. But it's a very difficult answer. Why is it a difficult answer? Because the Rambam says that a person who takes, who gives up his life for a mitzvah that he's not obligated to give up his life for, is Mishayev ben Afsho. He is guilty. He is guilty with his life. So if that's the case, <laughs> it sounds like he's doing something very, very wrong. Not just that he's not obligated. Rishlai Mekluger says the second answer. And the second answer is the following. If a person is in the middle of Shemana Esrei, what are they doing? 
They're in the presence of Hashem. As this chassid explained to that person. He says, a person who's in the presence of Hashem and turns away from Hashem, that's one of the strict ones. That's in a certain sense, he says, a little bit of like a yakra davay It's a little bit of a giving respect to something in place of Hashem. Says Rav Shleimah Kluger that this chassid was of the belief that for him to turn away from the Rabboni Shalom at this point in time would be an act of rejection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Iker the main question of the thing was, why? how are you risking your life like this? And he said, I'm risking my life because the truth is that it's, uh, it is vital. This is a cardinal issue. I'm in the middle of davening, and I'm going to turn away from the Rabbanu Shlolem. I'm not able to do that. That's the consequence of being Omed Lifnei HaMelech. That was the way he said it. Now, we said, he says, it's true that we said from Malchei Umas HaOlam, you're able to interrupt. HaChasid Leisir came. The Chasid didn't hold that way. You see, when you and I, when we daven, we're saying words, we're doing a mitzvah of davening every day. When the Chasid is davening, he's standing in front of the Rabbana Shalom. So for him, it was so real that he was standing in front of the Rabbana Shalom that he couldn't turn away, even if it meant risking his life. To turn away to something else would mean risking his life. Rav Shlomo Kluger is saying something which is very, very, almost instinctive in what the Gemara says. What he was explaining was why he felt that there was a mandate of Mesiras Nefesh for this. And he brings a beautiful proof. The Kluger brings a Kluger proof, a very, very clever proof. And the proof is, it's source Chafalov on the previous page, a Gemara in Brachas, the Gemara says, a person shouldn't daven behind the shul. Meaning, where it looks like he's turned away from the shul, like he's not pointing towards the shul. Abaye that says, it's only again if he's turned away. Says the Gemara, who gavra, there was a person who was davening behind the shul. And he wasn't turned towards the shul, it was like he was ignoring the shul. Elio came by, appeared like a taya, like a peddler, and he said, is this the way you stand in front of your master? And he took out his sword and he killed him. Elio Anavi killed him for this. Says Roshleim Kluger, why did he kill him? Where do you have such a thing? That's of Misa? There's a death penalty for davening in the wrong direction? Says Roshleim Kluger. So you see that when people are standing in the presence of Hashem and somebody turns away, that's like Meir B'Malchus. It's like rebelling against the Rabbanu Shlalom. And it is to some degree of Misa. He's, the, the idea, he says, is a little bit more involved than I'm conveying in the few minutes that we have to discuss it. But it's a whole different thing. That's the spiritual reality of the Tayyip. If we go back to consider the formulation that we had before, safeguard your soul, because you saw God at Arsinai. Don't forget, you saw God at Arsinai. Safeguard that, safeguard that experience, safeguard that reality. Says the, says the Chassid, oh boy, I sure do. 
And we're here, I'm davening in front of the Rabbonu Shalom. I safeguard that reality. And therefore, I can't turn away and pay attention to anything else. I can't turn away and pay, pay attention to anything else. That would be my violation of Nishmartem Odlan Afshosechem. So, in a sense, that's exactly what he explained. So, to summarize where we are until this point, we saw should a person risk their life for davening? The Mishnah sounds yes, the Gemara sounds no, but then it tells us a story yes. And we didn't understand why. We didn't understand why that chassid would risk his life. How does he have a right to risk his life? What about pikuach nefesh? And isn't there a real claim, safeguard your soul? But then we saw safeguarding your soul has an ambiguity. You have to safeguard your spiritual life as well as your physical life. Maybe as well as your physical life. But safeguarding the spiritual life is paramount. But that's still a shocker. I mean, we quote it all the time to safeguard your physical life. How do we put the two of them together? Maybe that's the chassid, putting the two of them together. Maybe, by the way, that's why the mission is deliberately ambiguous. It gives you an impression that you should give up your life. And the Gemara then tones it down to say you shouldn't. What's the contrast? You're not obligated to. But if you see the spiritual presence of the Rabbanu Shem in your life as tangibly as the chassid, then you may. Then maybe there is a pseudo-mandate for a person to safeguard their spiritual soul over their physical soul. Now I want to say something with great, great emphasis and clarity. This is not talking about a person going to risk their life to daven. The person's standing in front of Hashem now standing in front of Hashem now and turning away, that's the kind of thing that Rav Shleim Kluger says, maybe that is tantamount. Choosing to go somewhere to Davin in a situation of danger is not. It's not the same thing at all. The, the case here specifically was he was in the middle of Davening to Hashem, he's standing in front of Hashem, and now he wants to step away. So that might be considered a cardinal sin. But otherwise... Not just to choose to go or not to go. Not. That wouldn't be. By the way, it's a fascinating thing because there was a man named Daniel. Daniel had a book written for him. And in Daniel, he gave up his life, he risked his life, when he davened. And he was davening b'yechidus. He was davening alone with an open window towards Yerushalayim, when there was a decree by the king, by Nebuchadnezzar, that nobody could daven to anything other than to his statue. So there's somebody choosing to risk their life for that. But in fact, many say, and it's somewhere here on your on this handout, that Daniel was trying to do it privately. He didn't even know that he was risking his life necessarily. Again, like those other cases that he wasn't aware Let's now go to the last shlav, the last stage of this discussion. And that is yet another possibility. And that possibility is that the chassid himself could disregard the danger. Until this point in time, we spoke about, well, maybe the guy made a calculated decision. And the calculated decision was, you know, I'll be able to talk him out of it. I'm not really risking my life. We had a problem with that, because that's living dangerously. And you're not supposed to risk your life. 
unless, again, you take the approach that for in the middle of davening you should, like that chassid held, but otherwise, how do you say it? But there's another approach. And this approach which is found wonderfully in certain places. It's an approach which is found in the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch, with regard to the mitzvah of removing risks and dangers, the mitzvah of, of putting a railing around your roof. And he writes about the importance of maintaining that kind of thing, that kind of safety. And recognizing that even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu guards and is, acts with his hashkocha, with his divine providence, a person still has to practice safety, can't just rely on the Rebbe will take care of me no matter what. A person has to practice safety, writes the Sefer HaChinuch. And then he says, and this is the underlined portion on the bottom of your fifth page, there are some people that Hashem specifically wishes for their glory. Because of their significant piety and the attachment of their souls in the ways of Hashem. The most pious people known for all time. Like the Avais, Hagdailim, Vakdoshim, Vaharbe Minabonim, Shoyachreim, like Daniel, Hanania, Mishol, Vazariah. Hashem placed nature into their hands. When they started off, nature was their master. But in the end, as their souls rose and became great, it was turned around. They become the masters over nature. Like we know Avram Avinu wasn't harmed by the Kivshon Aish. The Arba Chasidim Aniskarim were put into the fire, they were put into the lion's den, and they weren't harmed. Most people don't have that. A Chasid can have special protection. That's what the Sefer Achinuch says. And maybe this Chasid approached us with some sense of having special protection for the, from God. Now, for the second time in this year, we're going to say, don't try this at home. Nobody has a right to assume that special piety. The chassid, none of us has a right. The chassid did. Listen to a fascinating thing. Let's go back to the Ben Yehoyada. We have two more little snatches from the Ben Yehoyada. Blow your mind. The Ben Yehoyada says, why did that person, that hegmon, bring two psukim for the chassid? Why didn't you say, from one pasuk, the Torah says, guard your soul. Why did he have to bring both psukim? Listen to what he says. The first pasuk, Hishomer l'chosh m'anafshu, what is said in the singular. So, Hashem says to a regular guy, guard your soul very much, be careful. But maybe you'll say, hey, I'm not a regular guy. I'm a chassid. I don't have to worry about these things. Continues the, the, the Ben Yayada, that's why he then brought a pasuk, v'nishmartem o'id l'nafshu yisaychem. It says, all of you, in the plural, guard your lives. No exceptions. Rav Hanina didn't worry. The Gemara says a story in Maseches Chulun about Rav Hanina, whose merits were so great that he didn't worry about somebody casting a spell over him. Okay, fine. So maybe he also doesn't have to worry about dangers. Said the Hegmon, Hashem said it to all of you. No exceptions. So he says that perhaps he was addressing that don't think as a chassid you have a right to ignore these things. 
as an especially pious person, you have a right to ignore these things. Possible. Possible. But let's now look at something which I think is very, very dramatic and very, very beautiful. So the Pasuk of guarding your life, what's it about? It's about Harsinai. That we're told, you got to remember Harsinai. you got to remember what you saw there. you got to remember what you didn't see there. Remember, you didn't see any image there. No image of Hashem. You just saw, you just experienced HaKadosh Baruch Hu generally. Do you know that Harsinai was potentially harmful to our health? Did you know that? It's an amazing thing. Almost every Jewish hospital is called Sinai Hospital. Right? Mount Sinai, Sinai. There are, there are a lot of others, I know. But why is a Jewish hospital called Sinai Hospital? Because we have a great tradition. What's the tradition? That at Har Sinai, everyone was healed from their frailties. The Cholam, Rayim, Esachaz. Everybody saw, the blind saw, the deaf heard. Everybody was healed. So it's Sinai, Mount Sinai Hospital. That's the way it starts. Fantastic. Except there's one problem. If we look in that very parsha of Yishamar L'choshmer and Avshachamahod, we see that the Jewish people were scared to death, literally, at Harsinai. What did they say? Hashem spoke to us. He gave it. When you heard the voice, you came to me and you said, Ay, Hashem showed us His call, His kavod, His greatness, His voice we heard. We've seen that Hashem speaks to a person and the person survives. Wow! You can survive an encounter with Hashem. But now why will we die? This fire will consume us. If we continue to hear the voice of Hashem, we're going to die. How can a being of flesh and blood hear the voice of Hashem and survive? So you, Moshe, you go, you hear, and then you'll speak to us. Everything that Hashem speaks to you, and we will hear, and we will do. And Hashem said, okay, go ahead. Tell them they should go back to life, and you stay here. They were worried at Harsinai about losing their lives. And so they said, Moshe, you do it. Was Moshe losing his life? Or did Moshe gain life? Moshe's the one who died. You know, how do you know Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't a real rabbi? Because the Pasuk says that at the end of his life, his eye wasn't weakened and his moisture hadn't dried. Moshe Rabbeinu had no glasses and no white beard. What kind of a rabbi has no glasses and no white, white beard? But Moshe Rabbeinu was Sinai forever. He was returned to immortality. You know, nobody knows where he's buried. Why does nobody know where he's buried? Because he buried himself, because Hashem buried him. There's a significant opinion in Chazal, because he didn't die. Like Elio Anovi, he ascended to heaven. Did he safeguard his life? The Jewish people, we were worried that it was going to kill us. We were worried that our Sinai was going to kill us. So they said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you go. And Moshe Rabbeinu lived beyond anybody. Can I show you something? An amazing thing that was noted by the Goyen of Vilna. It's an amazing thing. Look at verse 24. Chav Dalid. So the Jewish people said, Moshe, you go close. And you speak, you, you tell us what Hashem says. And then you'll speak to us. 
Whatever Hashem says, when we will hear and we will do. Did you notice that? What does it say? We will hear and we will do. What are the big two words of Harsinai? Nasev and Ishma. And here they said the reverse. We will hear and we will do. Instead of we will do and we will hear. When they did this, they were reversing the acceptance of the Torah. Because the acceptance of the Torah that said we want to be able to meet Hashem was that that's the biggest expression of life. But sometimes, you know, when you go to meet Hashem, you want to bring along other stuff. And at the same time as you're looking at Hashem, as we are looking at Hashem, we also want to look at, I don't know, at normal fleshy stuff, you know? Mikol Bosa, we're human beings. How does it go? Rakishamer Lacha Ushmar Nafshechamaod. Guard, safeguard your soul, your spirit. Don't forget Sinai. What took us to Sinai was that we said, whatever Hashem says, we'll do. Hashem only gives life. It's going to kill us. But then we had buyer's remorse and we said, but one second, look what we've given up. What's the back and forth? Are we creatures of the spirit whose job and whose task and whose mission and whose dream is to safeguard our souls, our spiritual life? Like the Pasuk says, Yisham Lacha? Are we creatures where the only thing that matters is v'nishmartem el-danafshasechem is our physical life? That's, the, that's what it turns on. Oy, there's so much more to say. I'm glad I got through almost all the sources. I want to take the few more minutes that we have, I said till 7.45, the few more minutes that we have to come together with you and put a cherry on top, a real cherry on top. V'chai bohem. What's V'chai bohem say? It says, live through the mitzvahs. Don't die through the mitzvahs. Save your life. Right, that's what Chazal famously said. Spare your life. Don't give up your life to do mitzvahs. Then the Ramban goes on and says something else. You know what it means on another level? The, the, these are the mitzvahs that a person will do and live through them. And says the Ramban, you know, when a person does mitzvahs, they do this to live. And their choice in life as they approach the mitzvahs, if they're doing mitzvahs because they want to have rain and season and they want to have bountiful crops and all kinds of nice, wonderful things, then that's going to be their life of mitzvahs. But if they do mitzvahs, Ramban goes through many steps, you could read it. They do mitzvahs just for the mitzvah itself, for its loftiness, for its otherworldliness, to preserve the soul. He says then, like Elioa Navi, they'll ascend to heaven. V'chai they're going to have a different definition of life through it. Says, be safe and be healthy. But also says, nurture the spirit, nurture the soul of the person. The Chaibohem itself, isn't that amazing? We said, what are you doing, Rambam? That Pasuk is about spiritual life. But look at the Pasuk, the Chaibohem. The Chaibohem is the Torah Pasuk that says the obligation not to give up your life for mitzvahs. And yet, what does it say? What does the Ramban say? 
the deeper meaning of that Pasuk is enliven your soul through the mitzvahs. Make that your defining essence. On Shavuos, we read Megillas Rus. The story of Rus is a person who gave up everything. In Hilchas Yisurei the Ramam teaches us about Gerus. And he says, you know what it means to join the Jewish people? He says, you have to make sure that they're not doing it for any material thing. Not for money, not for glory, not for power, not for someone they want to marry, but they're doing it just me'ava, out of love. They're doing it because they want to be connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Not for a dover me'ava, not for some thing for the vanities of this world. That's why Rus is the example of the Gioras. She gave up everything. She could have gone back to her father's house, written the whole thing off as a bad dream, been a princess again. Instead, she went to be a pauper. She went to take care of her mother-in-law. She, she went for what she thought would be a lifetime of who's going to marry a Moavite woman when the Torah says, Amoni Moavi can't come because Hashem. How could you do that? She was going for something that was more meaningful. She was giving up her life, <laughs> right? Afun's gezakt. She ends up being the mother of the Mashiach, the grandmother of the Mashiach. But she was choosing to safeguard her soul over safeguarding her material possessions. So here's the last word from the Ben Yehoyada. Said the Ben Yehoyada, this fellow said to him, if I would chop your head off with a sword, who would have any claim from me? So, the Ben Yoyada asks, why is he being so graphic? Chop your head off with a sword. Who would demand it from my hand? Listen to the genius of the Ben Yoyada. It's so gorgeous. He says, the Hegmon was a Roman leader. And the Romans are descendants of Asaph. And Asaph was given a blessing from his father. He was given, Yedei Asaph, the hands of Asaph, and you live by the sword. Yaakov was given the voice of Yaakov, the voice of prayer, the voice of Torah. When Esav and Yaakov meet in the Torah, when Esav, the children, the king of Esav, when they meet, it's always the voice against the sword. The world of the spirit, spiritual strength, or the world of physical strength. They meet each other. They collide. He said, I would beat you with the sword of Esav. You're relying on the Rabbonah Shalom. The Rabbonah Shalom gave me a power too. But in the end, the Chassid prevailed. He won. He survived. Because he saw clearly what the world of reality was and was to be for him. That's what remembering Harsinah is. We'll say tonight in Mariv, like we say every night in Mariv, we should rejoice in the words of your Torah and your mitzvahs for always, for eternity. Because that's our life. That's our life. Now some of you might find it strange. You know, we've been spending the time here talking about a story of a person risking their life for davening. And we're showing the heroism of the person risking their life for davening. As you may know, that's not our the position of the of the Paiskim, of the Orthodox Union. We we in, in our current crisis we shouldn't absolutely shouldn't be doing that. It's true. 
we have to not do foolhardy things like the Chassid, who will just think and imagine that uh, Hashem's going to take care of me. A person doesn't have an ability to do that. The Chassid of the Gemara did. Not us. We can't. We can't imagine that. But it never should come at the sense that what we're trying to do is preserve physical life over spiritual life. Each and every one of us can find and has found that there's a tremendous, tremendous spiritual life that we've achieved, that we're able to achieve and tap into out of the normal pattern that we had before. We wait with great anticipation to get back to the pattern we have before. It's not about seeing the physical and not seeing the spiritual. It's about the preserving the physical for the sake of the spiritual. But Harsinai, we have to remember that ultimately that's our pursuit. Our pursuit is Kiheim Chayenu, that's our life. Our pursuit is to go back to the Nasev Nishma, where it's not, we have to make sure that everything's okay so we can serve Hashem. We're desperately motivated to serve Hashem. And we continue praying, and we continue learning. And just the presence of all of you here for me is like such an amazing inspiration. I thought 6 o'clock till 7.45 on Erev Shavuos, I'll be talking to myself. I'm talking to, to chaverim, to friends whose thirst for Torah over as, is never, never quenched. And uh, Bezuz Hashem, let's rejoice in the words of Torah, Kiheim Chayenu, because that is our life. That's what the, the beautiful thing. He stands brandishing a sword. We stand brand, brandishing a siddur, brandishing, brandishing a chumash, brandishing a gemara. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu allow us to gain eternal life, eternal life against all threats. May we be zeichah bezaz Hashem that our prayers should rise sweetly and we should be zeichah to redemption, redemption from this difficulty and ultimately a geula shlema. When David... Ben Rus, Ben Yishai, Ben Rus should come to us, Bimheir Vyameinu. So nice to see you. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach, Wonderful to see you all. Good Yantiv, good Yantiv, good Yantiv. Chag Sameach, Veshavat Shalom. What's that? Good Shabbos, good Yantiv. Good Yantiv, good Shabbos. Thank you. Good Yantiv, good Shabbos. Good Yantiv, good Shabbos. It was great, Robert. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Who's from Tinek? Okay. All the best, everyone. Good Yantiv, good Shabbos. Okay, nice to see you.